Hi, and welcome to the eighth and final episode of Trans Talks with me, Branwyn Munn. This time, I was privileged enough to speak with Morwenna, who lives in London, and she and I talked about the nuances of transitioning and how that journey can continue to take twists and turns. We talked about how small trans and gender non-conforming communities can provide a sense of hope and belonging. We also discussed what's in a name and trans voices, quite literally. Morwenna has a great affinity with her voice and it was amazing to hear about her experience of finding it. So for the next 50 minutes or so, here's Morwenna. Morwenna, hi, it's so good to see you. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Honestly, it's really lovely to catch up with you and... Thank you for taking part in this little podcast. Absolutely, my pleasure. Don't worry. I'm very much looking forward to it. Good, good, good. Um, Right. Well, first of all, I think, could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Like, um, whatever you're comfortable telling me. You know, it doesn't have to be like your life history, but just like the kinds of things you like. Um, You could incorporate how you identify, you know, and that kind of stuff. I could do something like that. So, hi, um, my name's Moena. I use she, her pronouns. Um, I'm a, I'm a reluctant barista living in London. Um, I just got out of a physics degree and don't know what I'm doing with my life. Although I do now, I'm going to become a teacher. I just figured that out. Which um, is amazing news. Which that is, is amazing exciting. news. I, I have purpose now. It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I'm a musician by like what I actually want to do with my time because making coffee for strangers is, is not, not my favorite way to spend the rest of my life absolutely um i do various bits and pieces i sing i i beatbox i've been in acapella groups for years um where uh, my groups are recording an ep as we speak I'm recording on the weekend it's going to be sick amazing um amazing. if we go down the roots of gender and identity i identify very much with with lesbianism and being a dyke and being a a, a butch woman um which has been an interesting journey to go down as someone who's also a trans woman which um uh, yeah, being a failed man on two different axes is really fun and interesting. Um, <laughs> it's a big hot topic at the moment, which I'm sure we'll get bit, into yeah, it as we go exactly. along. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's the, the, the big hit points of, of my life at the moment. Amazing. Um, are we okay to talk about like your transition and your like trans realisation and all that kind of stuff? Of course. Of course, that's the juicy stuff. I was interviewing somebody the other day and she told me about this thing which I'd not heard of, which was like the button push, which is like when you realise that you've got to push the button. And I absolutely love that analogy. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of the button analogy, right? It's the the button of if you could change your gender tomorrow, would you do it, right? Is that the button you're referring to? Sort of, yeah. It's kind of, it's more like, I called it a light bulb moment of like, Okay, when did you realise? And like, how did you realise? Was there like a sudden, did you like have an experience one day where you're like, oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, I get this. I know what this is. Or was it like a gradual thing? How did it happen? When did it happen? Okay, so I I didn't have like, I didn't have the sort of stereotypical experience, which I think is actually quite uncommon. It's just a useful narrative to feed the people, right? Which is that like, ever since I was a young boy, I, 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 broke into my mum's um, thing and, and and put on her dresses and I felt amazing. Like, no, I didn't do that. I was a, I was a rugby lad. I'm so glad to hear you say that, by the way, because you are absolutely right that there yes. is this narrative that, like, 
we feel as though we're supposed to have always known <clears throat> all yeah. the time from our earliest memories. And okay, carry on, carry on. We'll come back. No, to that no, point. no. You're entirely right. Like it's um, to sort of push that tangent a little bit. Right, I feel it. Um, it comes from a similar place as the um, uh, the boldness way, uh, like um, framing for gay rights, right? And where these things come up, where we we say these things to politicians and cis potential allies or bigots because to explain sexuality in its broadness or to explain gender is quite hard. People spend their entire lives writing very complicated papers about it. And so you can't do that when you're just someone is, you know, calling you a slur in the women's bathroom. (laughs) And so you use a, a contraction, right? And if enough people use those contractions over the course of history, then new people of discovering this will just simply believe it because that's what they keep hearing. Yeah. If you're a, if you're a trans person coming into the world and all you've heard about trans people is they, they knew since birth and they were, they were born this way, then you'll start to sort of affix yourself in that narrative because if that's not you, then you're not trans or you yeah. can't, can't be trans or whatever. It's like sowing the seeds of doubt. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, Something else that, uh, that was related to this that has kind of been that struck me since I've been doing these interviews actually is that there's no wonder many of us didn't realise until much further on in our lives because the idea of being trans, the kind of like essence of it, is such a nightmare, you know, on yeah. so many levels. Yeah, of course, it's no wonder we often hid it and you know didn't even see it within ourselves. I mean, I feel like I am a, an almost a good case study in that, like how someone cannot dis- doesn't discover their their transness until given the opportunity to do so. So I came out at twenty one, right, which is very fortunately young. Um, I'm extremely grateful for that. But I, it all came very suddenly for me because up until I went to university and met more trans people and was sort of surrounded, it was part of more progressive circles. It was never. A, something I could conceive of for myself, because as I say, I grew up as a, as a boy, I went through school like that. I did all of the sports. I always tell people that I gave being a man a really good go and I was really good at it. <laughs> you did give it a good bash. Um, let it not be said. I did not try <laughs> mom. Um, and like, yeah, I, I did it and it made me miserable, but I could do it. I, I passed as a man. I, I, I did all of the manly things. I dressed up in the suits and I grew the beard and whatever. And when that's your only frame of reference and, you know, I, I didn't live during like section 28 and those years, but I certainly lived in the aftermath of it. I was being taught by teachers who taught during that. Mm. And so obviously I didn't hear about it through school. Um, apart from through you, obviously, or, <laughs> or the listeners who are unaware, uh, Bran was my music tech teacher in, um, in secondary school, which I'm eternally grateful for. <laughs> but like if kids aren't given this as an option, as like, a, this is a thing you can be then of course not. You're going to just follow the path of everyone else, regardless of how uncomfortable it makes you, because you learn very quickly in the sort of first stages of secondary school age that to deviate is bad. Yeah. It's amazing what you can, like, hide within yourself under those circumstances. Oh, yeah, for sure. We're British. We're excellent at hiding stuff under the surface. 100%. That's what we do. Repression, transphobia, and racism are the three excellent qualities of the British. (laughs) Amazing. That's all we've got. So good. In now, when you look back, can you see things like uh, when I 
I was so shocked at like age 30, whatever I was when I came out and I realized what I was. I was like, oh my God, like, where's this been all my life? Right. Yeah. But in the years since, since, I've looked back and been like, oh yeah. But when you're at uni, you did this. And when you were the younger, you did this and you always liked doing this and you never did sports and blah, blah, blah. Were there things now when you look back, were there clues or is it just so hidden? It recontextualizes a lot of my experiences as a kid, I guess. And that, like, I had a lot of female friends when I was very young. Yeah. Something I remember quite strongly was, like, right at the start, like, very early primary school age, I had a few, uh, like, girl friends who I spent most of my time with. Yeah. And related to them really strongly. And then um, that became gradually unacceptable as you move through primary school because that's not what's done. You go and play football with the lads. Yeah. Beat each other up in the field or whatever. And then also, like, Little things here and there. Like, there weren't any, like, big ones. There wasn't like a, oh, yeah, I did, I, did, I did wear a dress for a year in, like, year seven or whatever. Like, there wasn't much of that. There were a couple of things like that. Like, I did, I did do, like, a, like, a couple of months before I came out. Some of my friends dressed up. Um, like, the, the girls dressed up, a couple, few of us guys in drag, essentially, like, in their ball gowns and put on makeup and stuff. Yeah. And um, the main experience I remember from that, interestingly which is an interesting pointer is I felt deeply uncomfortable because the first thing I noticed was, Oh, wow. I'd look really hot if I didn't have a massive fucking beard. <laughs> um, and so that was like, that, that was on the one hand, I was like, Oh yeah, this is uncomfortable. I'm going to push away from this. But like, then you think about it and you think about where the discomfort actually lies mm. and like things like thinking about like discomfort I've had with my body throughout my life and my self image, which you can attribute to, you know, just, being sad in other ways there are all sorts of reasons why one might be upset yeah um, yeah yeah by what you see in the mirror um but like yeah it definitely contextualized a few things for me yeah. but that got confusing more confusing still when i started presenting more masculine again now um and trying to sort of think that through because i did play all the sports see and like i look back and think but i actually enjoyed a lot of that i enjoyed being energetic and moving my body and all of this like there were aspects I didn't enjoy. I didn't enjoy the camaraderie of guys because it made me horribly uncomfortable to be among them in that way. And like showing off, I guess, this body that didn't feel like home. But the sport itself, like, was good. Yeah. And like, there are other aspects like that that I've like since been able to like reclaim almost yeah, and yeah. go back to and enjoy. Now I have this sort of slightly more masculine presentation. Yeah, you say that slightly more masculine, but you. You are so feminine looking. Well, this, this was it, right? Is that I always said, I remember this very distinctly when I came out that I wanted to, I still wanted to be masculine, but I wanted to do it in the way that women did it, yeah. which I felt it was so fundamentally different. And like anyone can tell you this, because if you look at a, a woman in a suit or a woman like dressed in tomboyish clothes, it's the energy and the, how it appears and how these incredible people move through the world is so obviously different from them. Mm. There is something there. Yeah. And I was really drawn to that. And then I tried it when I came out and it sucked because what that, what that felt like pre hormones, pre like laser, pre anything yeah. was me just dressing up in boy clothes. Um, this just makes me feel like a man. I hate this. I'm going to like go high femme, like so many trans people do at the start. And then you gradually sort of ease into it and find a presentation that's more comfortable. Yeah. Um, that's been a very common experience in my case anyway, from like speaking to people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, I've taken years to get past mm -hmm. that, like that initial yeah. stage of like, I've got to be as firm as I possibly can. Da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. it, I'm, I'm just so like happy that 
younger trans people now have, are able to find that kind of mm-hmm. equilibrium wherever they fit, you know, yeah, on that sure. kind of pre- presentation spectrum um, is so much easier than it used to be. Yeah, oh, of course, like access to healthcare is easier now and access to like all sorts of like things that will ease your transition access to community is easier now yeah, like definitely you will you you can see people who like that's how i figured this current thing out right is that there were like butch trans women in my community who were just who were just doing this and i was like oh that's an option yeah and i would go and speak to them and get their perspective on things and um and not just butch trans women but like people across all sort of different sorts of presentations and yeah. um gender expressions yeah and uh yeah seeing that and living it and living it vicariously through these people was how i found what works for me or it works for me now i don't speak for my future self i might i might become a high femme goddess again another year yeah who knows and um it's entirely my prerogative to do so that's the beauty of it right absolutely i'll tell you what as well is that um one hopes that we are moving in a direction where um cisgender people are more aware of the trans community and that there are more than like one type of trans woman or more yeah. than one type of trans man and that there are other like gender um diverse people as well so there is i think less pressure in a way because obviously a lot about our presentation is like solving our dysphoria you know our, mm-hmm. our, like finding our, our physical um presentation that fits us that feels right um but there is also an element of safety or has you know over the years been an element of safety about like well i'm going out so i have to like do this to whatever to make myself look like this particular way so that i'm more likely to pass in inverted commas um or at least you know not get killed for being like a weirdo so that but the, nowadays, the public are becoming much more aware that there are more than just, like, men and women that look stereotypically men and women. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, which is ridiculous because, of course, over the years, <laughs> there have been some iconic people who have looked, like, gender diverse. I mean, yeah, British British culture is so steeped in people who are who are gender diverse, the Bowies and the, the drag yeah. queens of the world and all of this. Is, Annie you Lennox, know, you know. Yeah, Freddie yeah, Mercury like, being the gayest man to ever live. Yeah, you know, like love this place. <laughs> Normal island. It's so beautiful that we are now. Like, th- there are many more presentations in the trans spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. It's just the people that I've interviewed for this so far have all looked really different and presenting in different ways, and yeah. I love that. I, you know, I t- this whole thing is like, why are we not celebrating? like the diversity why does everything that our country does well and not just this country because america is at the moment the u.s is in a real yeah and i mean outside of like the west and the imperial core right like yeah nowhere is unique everywhere doesn't really like people varying from yeah norms of the world which largely comes from you know imperialism and that's you know yeah (laughs) gender diversity is not our invention uh other cultures invented it before us, and then we beat it out of them. Yeah, I was—I can't remember if this came up in another interview, but I'm really fascinated by the idea that um, I would love to be able to time travel back about 250 years, like pre-Victorians, and see what was going on. Because we have such limited like records of that time <laughs> about how people looked. Um, and, but if you go and look at paintings, which is one of the biggest you know sources of like how did people look in mm. 1500 and something. Yeah. 
you go and look at like paintings from that era and there is so much like androgyny and like you walk around the Louvre and it's like hey what this is crazy gender like presentations going on here and we're sort of tricked into believing since the imperialist you know and the Victorians and everything else that we need to fit into these boxes um, because that's how capitalism works. And oh, yeah. but if we could go back to pre that, I would love to see what was going on yeah. then. I mean, we know there are records of like other um, communities in different countries, mm-hmm. like the, the famously Native American culture has different approaches to gender. Um, I think there are in Pakistan. Yeah, India as well, I'm pretty sure. And other countries, um, Rome. Yeah. And so we know that existed, and I'm mm-hmm. sure it existed here as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, can't tell me otherwise. No, I hope so. Yeah. This is... <laughs> so there's hope that we'll <laughs> get back to a no, place No, definitely. Like... I mean, like, it, it, it all just sort of suggest the same thing right is that humans as a rule will express themselves along a spectrum of, of present and also like gender norms are made up anyway right we've invented these things yeah you have the, you know sex as a concept which is not two points but a spectrum with like two peaks but various interconnectedness mm-hmm. and things will fall along that spectrum but obviously you have the bits where things are slightly more interesting yeah and if that's the case if all of this is a spectrum with overlap then you have to beat people into the boxes, right? And yeah. people's resting place naturally is outside of them. So yeah, like that's where humans, wherever you go, will tend towards variation and have to be jumped back into these categories by force so often. Yeah. As we're finding now. I think we are re- reaching an apex of being forced into boxes, which mm-hmm. is not good, which is why we're doing this podcast. I want to talk to you about the concept of transition mm-hmm. um like already you've you've described how you you know your presentation has changed mm-hmm. in in the how many years i've been out just over two years yeah came out in march of 21 yeah so things have changed like where do you see yourself in terms of transition do you think transition ends are you at the end of it uh, do you see more like what does transition mean to you to entirely rip off um another excellent trans woman I know and, and dating called Amy. Um, transition for her, it was defined by movement. And I really like this, this idea that we discover in ourselves that we are not happy for whatever reason. Um, be it in our bodies, be it in our names, be it in any part of ourselves, be it in our souls. And we decide to change. We change our voices, we change our names, we change our clothes, we change our bodies. We change our sexes. We do change our sexes. And that never stops, I don't think. Or it doesn't need to. I, don't, I couldn't conceive of myself as, like, finishing my transition. Because the Zusa sort of implies that I then cease being trans, which is not doable. Like, I will always be trans. And that's wonderful. I love that. I love that I've discovered this thing that allows me to push the boundaries of, of every part of my life and, like move towards an ideal which i will you know Mm -hmm. nothing is perfect i will never reach an ideal but i can certainly move that way and then when the ideal changes when like i mean as has happened to me right like i i fantasized about being this beautiful high femme princess of a woman with flawless makeup and, and and all of this and i i moved towards that and then it wasn't feeling quite so comfortable and so i've moved more towards androgyny and butchness and masculinity and that feels much better for me now um i can't speak for the future me mm. because 
future me doesn't exist. Future me is an abstract thing in my imagination, yeah. and the past is 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 but a fading memory. There is only the present, and you can only in the present move towards what you want and what you want in that moment. And that is what transition has always been for me. I think is moving towards an ideal, an imagined idea of who I want to be. That is such a beautiful concept. And like, if can we just have that on t-shirts, please? Like, I am transitioning towards my ideal self. I mean, like, how good is it to aspire to be the ideal version of yourself? Why are we being persecuted for that? I think, anyway. I mean, I think in like the abstract, everyone wants to be their ideal self. No one wants to be a subpar version of themselves. We would hope so. But if your horizon is so limited yeah in that like not only like like you've got like transition widens your horizons i guess it, it just allows you to see more of the, the the visible spectrum of possibility and you um if you close yourself off and like okay well first of all i only think there are men and women you can move between them through through lots of medicine um but that's all there is yeah. and it's like oh no transition is nonsense as that and then also there, there are these rigid gender roles that we must adhere to and must dress within well, then you've got this tiny little box, and this is this is what in within which must be contained your ideal self, um, because nothing else is allowable, nothing else is permissible, and odds are that's probably not in there. You've closed off so much of the possible spectrum of of human endeavor, I guess. Oh, it's so good to hear you say this. Like, yeah. I've kind of found a bit of this myself when I transitioned i keep doing this on the podcast i keep telling my own history which is not what it's about but as a point of reference and to contrast Mm -hmm. compare and contrast um when i came out in like 2007 um things were obviously very different and the books that i was reading at the time there were glimmers of like more like interesting gender stuff at the time but mostly what you could find out on the internet and what books i read and so on it very much felt like yeah you're going from one pole to the other and when you get there, you finish transitioning. And that's kind of what I believed for the first mm-hmm. sort of three or four or five years. Um, I had surgery along the way, which felt like a landmark, but still didn't feel like the end. But then as time has gone along and I've kind of discovered non-binary friends and like uh, other gender identity friends. And I think there's obviously a younger generation of trans people out there that I'm kind of learning from all the time. And it's made me like readdress myself and like I've opened my horizon again, what you've just Mm -hmm. been talking about. Yeah. That is just amazing. And it feels so like hopeful to me. Whereas before, I think I'd kind of got to a point where I thought I was supposed to get to having done all the things that you have to do and thought, well, I guess this is it. This is as good as it's going to get, which was cool. You know, I was happy. I was a billion times happier than I was. Yeah. But I still felt like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe this isn't my ideal. Maybe I haven't reached the ideal. But like all this, like new, I say new, you know decade old like approach to gender or thoughts about gender that um has become much more like discussed mm-hmm. and, and in the public awareness um i think it's been there for decades course, centuries yeah. millennia really yeah. but like it's is more it's kind of a more recent phenomena that lots of people are talking about it and, and understanding and identifying differently and um having those conversations and i just feel that is so healthy like yeah. all the work i've done with like gender um diverse people has just been so encouraging and, and hopeful and that's got to be a good thing 
everything, everything I say and do in my life is unoriginal. I steal everything from people more interesting than I. <laughs> That's how it works. It is how it works. Nothing is original. Um, this is from another uh, London trans woman that like, are you hopeful? I think she was asked and um, she replied on, on the grand scale. No, on the small scale. Yes. And um, it almost sounds bleak when you put it like that, but I find it incredibly um, mm. uplifting because if we look on the grandest scales to be, you know, to, to, to look at these for a second, like the, the biggest problems in the world aren't being solved and they're getting worse. And the people who have the capacity to solve them, which is to say the states, the largest companies in the world, mm-hmm. are actively making them worse because it's in their best interest to in the short term. And when things get bad, they will all be dead. They don't care. Yeah. And I have no hope that, for example, they are going to give a single toss about trans rights for as long as it's politically profitable for them to not. Yeah. The, the UK being an excellent example, trans rights are going to be a, a huge political football. Um, the two largest parties have both thrown us under the bus. I, I see no, no, I have no desire for hope there. I don't like yeah. states. Yeah. This might become clear as we talk um, <laughs> more. But uh, on the smaller scales, like I moved to London recently. I've been here just under a year and found the most glorious, diverse, welcoming, kind trans community that you could possibly imagine um, with every, every conceivable kind of gender and sexuality and gender presentation and all of this, right? And the discussions that go on in these communities, and there are loads of them. It's not just London. Like I moved from Bristol. Bristol has an amazing queer scene. Yeah. There's so much of that across the UK. There's so much of it across the world. And it's all interconnected. South, in Wales. South Wales, like one of those trans places awesome. in the UK, which is wild. Like Ceredigion had like a huge percentage of trans people in the census came out. I love that. Where were they all when I lived there is what I want to know. <laughs> um, but yeah, like this is what will keep us safe. It will be these small communities that share knowledge, yeah. that share knowledge of how to transition, that share knowledge about like, okay, well, if this doesn't feel comfortable, maybe think about it this way. Different perspectives on things. More like, directly helpful things like oh you have no money you have nowhere to stay you can stay here yeah these networks are what are going to keep us alive as things get worse and they will always remain because trans people will always be will always remain and so we will always remain we're a, we're a steadfast bunch and like yeah that's where my hope lies and that's where like these discussions between young communities and young people that's where they blossom, like these people talking about all, all new different ideas of gender and ideas of, yeah. of transness. I think there is hope that that will ripple out. I mean, th- th- I saw recently that Trevor Project video with Dan Radcliffe, and yeah. I don't know if you saw the video, but he like uh, introduced the video as though, like, I'm a cis noob and I don't know anything, yes. which is a really lovely way for him to like portray himself, because I'm sure he does know a lot more than he's letting on um he's been working with the trevor project for years now anyway and then so they have this conversation with some trans young people um from different like gender categories or whatever and it was a beautiful thing and it's on youtube and lots of young people can watch it i say young people because they seem to be the ones that have their minds the most open to all of this kind of thing and the fact that that's happening we've got like it's a lot about in the entertainment industry that's the kind of like opposite of the political (laughs) spectrum is that we have all these like you know film stars and disney and so on who are trying to like do storytelling that involves all of this diversity Mm. so i feel there's hope in that in that like 
there is spill into the bigger consciousness, into the the larger world. And yes, until we break down those structures of state control and capitalism control, yeah, we're, we're going to have problems. But uh, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's what's coming. Revolution, baby. Who knows? Um, I wouldn't consider myself a revolutionary. I, I, I don't. I don't think that the gender is going to be overturned with pitchforks and uh, and torches. No, no. I think it's what I'm saying. I think it's, it's part of a big, bigger thing, yeah, like course. a bigger change. No, absolutely. I um, it's it is nice to see. It's wonderful to see. Like that, that my trans representation when I grew up was you, which was excellent. Um, but then also just you know. Trans people on the news for being either jokes or being dead, and um, yeah, and you know, it, it, it is wonderful that kids growing up are going to get to see these things in movies. One could put on one cynical hat and say that trans people only start showing up in media when it becomes profitable to do so, when in, there are enough queer people in the public eye such that they can make money off of it, you know. And also, there is there is this aspect, right, of um, like when you have um, very woke commercials right we and we have these things like on the one hand it is kind of cool to like you know be gay people in commercials right i love that i was cycling into work today and there were two gay guys making out on the side of the bus that that's wicked we love to see that but on the other hand having to experience all this through the lens of advertising and knowing that it's kind of there to a point to pick a fight because they know what will happen is that reactionaries will see this and complain about it and it will trend on twitter and then it will get a lot of free exposure. But that's interesting because, you know, like Cause Light in America um, <laughs> yeah. did the thing with Dylan Mulvaney. And like, I don't know whether they knew that it was going to have the effect. I mean, it had like America is a, I'm sorry, I keep saying America is US. I'm talking about the US. It's like a powder keg mm. at the moment. There is so much yeah. stuff going down politically at the moment, which is not great. So for them to make that decision and to use Dylan Mulvaney, who's like, you know, early in her trans life, in the way and with the personality that she's got, they must have known what they were doing. Of course they did. But in that case, that's still a positive thing because they are, in a way, I mean, it's still a capitalist thing, but they are still appealing to people who are um, sympathetic because they know they're going to lose a whole load of customers in the same way as like... Warner Brothers have lost a whole load of Harry Potter like fans and people who are buy into that, like me, who spent well, thousands yeah. on it. Harry, Harry Potter is maybe a more interesting, specific one because, in the case of Cause Light, right, someone has done the bean counting, right, for that advertisement, right, and has worked out that any ab- any customers that they lose, who like throw away their beers in protest, are going to be regained from the fact that they're going to get a load of free advertising. Yeah, and loads of young people who are cool. Are yeah, gonna, yeah, and it's just it's going to be a big talking point. Harry Potter is a specific case where I don't think Warner Bros and whoever, like the, the big companies behind Harry Potter sort of universe, particularly want Joanne Rowling to keep posting. They would rather if she stopped doing that because she's obviously, you know, torching her entire livelihood because she's obsessed with the transes, which is her prerogative to do so. Like, um, I don't know, like the, um, the author of the Hunger Games books um, wrote three books, did a few successful movies got insanely rich, went off to live in the woods. Love that for her. Doesn't post. You don't have to post, Joanne. You cannot. Log out. It is really possible. The grass is beautiful this time of year, you know? Go touch it. Especially as ostensibly she is a hermit anyway and wants to stay in Scotland in a mm-hmm. castle. The, well, the, the castle to which the address is publicly available. <laughs> but yeah, you'll be, you will potentially be, if you kept your mouth shut, you would have been very safe from all the dangerous trances mm-hmm, yeah. and it would have all been rosy. 
But yeah, chat to Did not anyway. not resist the posting. But yeah. No, I think that's a very specific case where it is, yeah, yeah. I think everyone involved, especially the people making her money, would prefer if she stops talking. Like all press is good press to a point, and then everyone starts thinking mm. of you as a horrible witch, and then maybe you should stop posting. Yeah, with with companies, I can see that with like cause who the beer company or um any of these other big companies that specifically use like queer people mm-hmm. in their advertising they've done like you say all the working oh, yeah. out they've it's a carefully structured thing it isn't just like a single woman on twitter having a you know thought oh yeah <laughs> you know? oh she's having thoughts she has definitely had some thoughts and we are all going to hear them incessantly endlessly <sighs> except that she's being silenced oh no um, you're not being anyway, silenced if you're in the Daily Mail. You're not being silenced if you're in so on, so um, Where were we? <laughs> where were we? Yeah, I'm just looking at my like, notes to find out. Cause, but this is the beauty of this podcast, is I start with some notes and then I just completely ignore them. Um, but we end up talking about all this stuff. The flow of conversation. Okay, there's one thing. Uh, there's a couple of things, actually, specific things mm-hmm. to you, because we're talking generally about a lot of big trans issues here. One of them is just a small note, is your name, it's like, as a trans person, we, we have this weird situation where we get to choose our name. I know we're not alone in that, that many other people change their names. There's people, if you don't like your name, change it. You can just do that, especially in the UK. You can do Trivially it. easy. You can do it in 10 it's minutes. It's so beautiful. And we get to choose that. I mean, I had all sorts of things with my family. Like, I felt with my parents, like, I didn't want to, like, I don't know. I, I mean, I struggled a lot with my kind of transition guilt of like expecting things of people and like having to make an impact on them when I didn't want to and one of those things was like ditching my old name which I felt really bad about because I didn't I didn't hate my old name as a name it obviously didn't suit um my new presentation so I had to choose name and I spent a lot of time doing that but you've got such a how did you where did that name come from tell me about what Morwenna means and it's just a beautiful name there's a fun story behind this I can find for you I think I can definitely find when it was first written down uh, to be like awfully romantic about it. There you go. Have you got a journal there? Is yeah, I mean, I, it, it's it's how I kept myself alive during uni. Basically, is just like endless scrolling. And um, this is going as a podcast. I don't know why I'm doing this, but on this page that I'm holding is <laughs> is me writing my name down for the first time on the first of March twenty one, which is also um, Deedville Dewey in Wales, which I think is lovely as a anniversary. I remember distinctly a few months before that, absent-mindedly scrolling um, websites for like uh, Welsh girls' names for babies um, in a very cisgender way because it's important to sort of research these things to be a good ally. Of course. But um, I didn't like them because I was doing kind of like something like you were saying. I wanted to pick a name that began with the same letter as my old name because I wanted to make things easier on the people around me, particularly my family. Yeah. Um, and uh, I eventually sort of ditched that idea because I just couldn't find one that resonated with me. And then I picked up this one. I, don't, I couldn't tell you exactly where I found it. Um, I, it popped up a couple of different times in my life. Like I, I knew of it as a Welsh name. Mm. I am Welsh. I don't think I mentioned that. I'm, I'm born and raised in Wales. Don't really have the accent, unfortunately. Um, although Welsh people can clock it. <laughs> like It is sometimes noticeable if you're listening for it. But... Um, yeah, it's it's in a book series that I loved as a kid. Any skullduggery pleasant enjoyers who are listening. Um, more in a crow, um, wicked necromancer in these books. And then um, I just knew about it. It also, it's just, 
it sounds beautiful. It has a few different meanings. There's like there was a Saint Morwenna, I'm pretty sure, who did some cool stuff. Yeah. The myth I remember, and I'm going to preface this by saying I have no idea whether or not this is true. But this is what I remember and what I tell people is that she was like, um, the myth is that she was a saint and she wanted there to be a church wherever she lived. And she couldn't get it built. And so she built it herself by putting the bricks on her back and carrying them there. And so I just have this image of me in a past life being this, this butch lesbian was like, God damn it, I'm going to build my own church. You can't stop me. I'm doing it by hand, which is kind of wicked. That's such an amazing metaphor. <laughs> it's cool, well, right? Of like building your own church. If you want something done, do it yourself. And then Morwen is white ocean. And I grew up near the seaside. I love the ocean. Um, and then, and this, this isn't particularly why I picked it, but Morwen is virgin as well, which is just interesting. Not accurate, but, um, and then, um, yeah. Funny other story about my name though, is that, um, my surname is Hartwell Evans. And, um, there was a, a girl who went to my school and ended up living a few doors down from me in Bristol after I came out called Morwenna Evans. And I'd forgotten about this completely. And, <laughs> and she was, oh I think not pissed off, but like, Oh, Oh, she stole my name. That's a bit weird. And since then, a mutual friend of ours, who I didn't know, knew other Moena, um, as she shall be referred to for the remainder of this podcast. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's the story of my name. I've never had more compliments about anything in my life, and it's not close, <laughs> than I have about my name. And I'm not mad about it, because I love it. And I, uh, that's beautiful. I will cherish it until the day I die. Amazing. The other thing, because um, we didn't talk about the name thing before, because we had a little pre- a pre-record meeting. Um, I don't know what you mean. Meeting. This is all entirely off the cuff. There are no notes. We're just, this is, this is all. Inter- but yeah. I did throw that name thing. I don't think we talked about that. So that was a bit of a, no, uh, this is true. a random one, which I like, you know, um, but Give me on my toes. we did, we did talk about voice a lot. Yeah. Um, I probably did a lot of complaining about my own voice cause I don't like it, which is kind of ironic that I've decided to record a podcast cause yeah. you, it's all hey, about your voice. Putting yourself out of your comfort zone. That's like, what transition's all about is being horribly uncomfortable yes. for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> like the rest of my life. But yeah, I we briefly talked about, um, and I think I stopped this because I knew we were <laughs> going to talk about it in the recording, yeah. um, about your voice and how you use your voice in a cappella groups. And like you were talking about training your voice. Tell me about that. Okay. Um, I don't know if this has come up in a previous podcast, but for any cisgender listeners, I guess, uh, HRT does not feminize your voice. You are, you are stuck with what you can do with your own ability. Unlike our transmasculine brothers and comrades whose voices lower on testosterone. So any changes to, um, the trans feminine voice are done through skill and practice and oftentimes luck and happenstance. Yeah. Like what you were born with in terms of the yeah, for geography sure. of your larynx and so on. Yeah. Absolutely. And, um, and so my voice, I didn't, I didn't voice train in the sense of I didn't do any lessons for it. I remember I might still have it on my phone. I got like a, um, a voice like frequency tester app just to see if I could like put my voice in the right frequency range, which is to say like I can make it sound more feminine. Yeah. But I found because I've done a lot of singing still do throughout my life. I found that there was a lot of overlap. I don't know how well this comes to on the mic, but I'll do a little sort of demonstration, I guess, which is to say that um, when you think about, the relative masculinity or femininity of a voice. What is much more important is where it's resonating as opposed to its pitch. So I'm speaking at this pitch now at my sort of fairly relaxed, slightly 
croaky, androgynous sort of tone. And I can sort of keep it at the same pitch, but I can put the resonance much more in my chest and it sounds a little more masculine, right? Wow. And then I can change the pitch. I can keep the pitch fairly low still, but I can make it a bit more airy and I can resonate it much more in my nose and my sort of sinuses and up there and it sounds a lot more feminine. The pitch hasn't really changed. That is, that's the best example of that resonance thing that I've ever heard. So fair play. Cause, and I've watched a lot of videos about feminizing your voice. Yeah, your girl is versatile and also has a versatile voice. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's really cool. I wouldn't change it for the world. I'm really glad that this is how it has shaken out because I kind of like my voice now. I like where it sits now. Like, I don't have to try very hard. It doesn't strain my voice doing this, mm. sitting it here. I don't have to, um, I, or rather I can, if I want to so say, for example, um, I want to, I have to do an appointment over the phone and they have my name, which is a female name and have me as Ms. It's just, it's just quite nice to be able to sort of, hi, I am, I'm a winner. Hi, I need to book this appointment for this and this and this. And it's like, I'm much more likely to pass on the phone if I'm speaking like this. Right. Yeah. And that like makes things a lot easier in certain circumstances. Yeah. What's also really fun is that I can scare cis men. By like, if they're, if they're like staring at me or whatever, I go, boy, what are you looking at? And it's, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really fun. And also like, I'm a, as, as you might be able to tell, I'm like a, a, a bass baritone, um, naturally in terms of my voice type. And so that's what I learned to sing. And I've been able to, through doing all of this, sing a bit higher and sing in like head ranges and be able to sing, uh, maybe not alto parts, but sing tenor parts, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And sort of like moonlight as like an alto too <laughs> but um it's really cool to be able to still sing bass like i can sing like operatic bass parts wow there is a a trans woman opera singer oh yeah who uh, i don't know if it was you that told me about her but I, th- I seem to remember hearing about her recently i might have done i mean it was like trans woman opera singer who came out in the middle of her career right and sings baritone and so had to Lucia Lucas is her name. Okay. Check her out. She's wicked. Um, because she came out and was like, I'm a baritone. I'm going to continue singing baritone. I'm just going to be a woman doing it, yeah. which is wicked. And she's incredible. She's got an incredible voice. There's a great video of her at a cabaret singing my way. Uh, more, much more than this. I did it my way. And it's so good. And it's and oh, I'm like, Seeing people do stuff like that is just incredible and like inspired me greatly to like not give up on that part of my voice because it's cool. Yeah. It's cool that I can do that and it doesn't make me less of a woman. I can be a woman with a low voice. I can be a woman with a baritone bass voice and that's actually really cool and fun. Um, so that's my journey with voice, I guess. Like I, um, yeah. I've become very, like it's hard at the start, right? Because this is something I've come to over the course of two years and playing with it a lot. Like being able to switch registers like that has taken some time and practice and knowing where it all comes from. But I love it. I love that. That's a part of me. Yeah. I'm, I've learned very recently um, to not shy away from those aspects of myself that are inherently trans. Yeah. Because so often, like, like you were talking about, right? Like we learn that like we have to go from one to the other and that anything that isn't a feminine trait, for example, in our case, has to be repressed or changed or destroyed or removed or whatever. Yeah. And that doesn't need to be the case. Like, no. and, and, and often cannot be, I cannot, I can't shrink my shoulders. Yeah. I cannot make myself less tall. I cannot permanently alter. Well, no, you can't you can get voice feminization surgery, but I don't want or can't afford that. It's, it's risky. Yeah, exactly. And so 
but these aren't inherently bad characteristics and they're not uniquely trans characteristics either. And so I've, I've found myself more and more feeling able to not shy away from, to, to, yeah, not shy away from them and embrace them yeah. as a part of who I am and as, as positive parts of who I am. Like, it's cool that my voice can do that. It's cool that I'm a tall woman. It's cool that I look the way I do. And like, voice was a really good catalyst for that for me. Because once you realize you can change it and you can move between these things, you can start to appreciate them both and you appreciate the utility of, of one aspect, but also the coolness of another. Yeah. I know a lot of trans women, trans feminine people who specifically voice trained and then reverted it back and reverted it all the way back and just used the, the voice that they got dealt at puberty because that's just what they want to do. They don't feel the, the desire to voice train. They don't feel the desire to have a feminine voice because they like the voice the way it is. And that's yeah. cool. Women with deep voices are really hot. Um, in, in our like free chat, you talked a bit about sexuality and how that has affected your like transition in a way, or like who you are um, in a really interesting way. Um, you were talking about like lesbianism. We mentioned it earlier on in the recording, but mm-hmm. yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that, how that has affected your, your transness. Yes. So I, I use the word dyke for myself as a, both a, a useful sort of tool, I guess, for, for indicating who I am to other dykes and other people who I desire and who, who might desire me. Um, also as like a sort of socio-historical term because it's so like loaded with history yeah, and also um, is a broader word than lesbian. I guess it's a little bit like queer in that way. You Very know, much, like, yeah. yeah. It's a reclaimed slur that has come to mean much more than the sum of its parts. I guess, yeah. And I love the word, and I love the what comes with it because in exploring lesbianism and dykehood, I found a place in my transition that felt so comfortable because seeing myself reflected back in the eyes of of partners, right? Like mm. it's. It's very affirming to be with someone like that and be in no certain doubt, no doubt in the slightest that they see you as a woman because that's who they desire. And that's how you see them as well. And especially being with trans women and trans dykes because you see them and you see them like you're like me and I experience you wholly and completely as a woman. Like there is no doubt in my mind. There's no like nagging. Oh yeah, but, but this, but that, but that. No, no, no. This is a woman in front of me. It's like a, a beautiful, incredible woman. And like, but you're like me, you're just like me. Oh, so that means I have to see myself like that. Otherwise I'm just being stupid. Like I'm, I'm being like deliberately contradictory. And, um, I found that to be so healing and useful and joyous, I guess, like yeah. to, to understand myself through these other people. Wow. And, um, it's also brought me great community. Like I, I spend most of my time surrounded by other dykes in these spaces that feel safe and um, feel deeply loving. Mm. It's I found wonderful community through understanding myself like this. Yeah, and I'm I'm really grateful for it. And I, it's we we try again. Like I think, like we said at the start, right? We try and separate out. And we try to simplify our words and our terms and our phrases because we have to try to explain to people who either don't know very much or are acting in bad faith, Mm. who all we are or what we are. I have to explain to you that I'm gay 
because otherwise you'll take things away from you. I had to explain to you that I am a woman full stop or otherwise I won't be able to take a piss next time I go outside, you know? <laughs> and um, as always, things are so much more complicated than that. And they're so rarely completely separate. And I don't view these things as separate. I think uh, what I keep saying to people these days is I, um, being a lesbian and being a dyke is as important to my identity these days as being a woman. It informs about as much of how my life is going through the world. Yeah. And they absolutely intersect all the time. I feel like thinking of it that way, you find a lot more common ground with people along lots of different axes. I, I've, I've found very recently that because of how... Um, the different ways my transition and my sexuality have shaken out. I find community with a lot more than just trans women. Like I find community with the cis uh, butch dykes that I spend a lot of time with yeah. because they are a group of people who society have deemed are doing womanhood wrong. Hmm. And, and so should be shunned for it. Like, like, I mean, there are all sorts of videos and points being like, I mean, I saw one a couple of days ago of some poor, like, lesbian cis woman in america oh yeah being thrown out of of a bathroom because yeah he refused to give her id um because she wanted to piss um in florida i think it was yeah i saw the video as well to be clear we don't need to prefix all of the problems that trans people face with this will hurt cis people too it is bad enough that it hurts trans people i really don't like it when people do that like oh no if this happens like gender non-conforming cis people will suffer which is true yeah. But yeah. I shouldn't need to tell you that for you to care about me. Mm -hmm. It should be enough that I will suffer. It should be enough that my siblings will suffer. Very good point. Um, but yeah, I, um, I feel great kinship with butch cis women. I feel great kinship with transmasculine people for largely the same reason. And for sort of reapproaching masculinity in this interesting way. Obviously, we don't do it quite in the same way, but I feel a great kinship with them. Yeah. Yeah. And also with like gay, with gay men as well. I've, I, I greatly enjoy spending time with gay men. They're just, yeah. just great. Yeah. Understanding the struggles of of same sex love or whatever and how that informs how you go through life and how you go through your relationships and how that intersects with society and stuff. Yeah. I um I've been very grateful to everyone I've met in the last sort of couple of years who've informed my my journey through gender and sexuality and sex. Mm. Um because it's it's a complicated thing and it doesn't have one answer and the more people you speak to from different horizons, the more nuanced and completed idea of yourself you'll have. Hundred percent. And that's that, again, that's 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 transition as a journey, right? Because you will keep learning until you die. Yeah. If you are, if you keep meeting people, and I intend to keep meeting people until the day I die, because there are so many interesting people, and I couldn't, I can't hope to meet them all, but I intend to meet as many as I can, as many as possible. <laughs> Absolutely, it's true. It's true. I've learned more more about like my own identity, my own queerness, and stuff in the last two or three years than I learned in the first 15 years of being a trans woman yeah. be because I've just found so many amazing people mm -hmm. to talk to. That's wonderful. So, and I've just learned a lot from you. So thank you very much for sharing all that. Doing my best. But <laughs> you're passing with flying colours because this is obviously an exam. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not passing. I don't know what I'm, I'm doing out in the world these days. It's not passing. I'm six foot two. <laughs> I go out in like big, massive black boots, a leather jacket. Um, I do lots of things. Hey, but, uh, you're passing as a badass, which is really significantly more important. I don't want to pass as a woman. I want to pass as a threat. <laughs> God, I tell you what, out of these podcasts, what's come out of it is a whole load of t-shirt slogans that are going to get made as merch to go Excellent. along with the podcast. Um, 
One last thing, like we've probably already covered this, um, yeah. so it might be a bit difficult to answer anyway, but we'll see what happens. I've ended each of the interviews with asking um, the the victim, I mean the uh, kind <laughs> collaborator, about what brings them trans joy, because I've heard this phrase a lot lately and I like it. What does trans joy mean for you? I've touched on it a little bit, a lot, I think that um, community has been what has gotten me through the last few years and what has informed so much of my transition. Yeah. And um, I can give like specific examples, which I think maybe makes for a more satisfying end to the question. So um, there is a wonderful group in London called trans climbing run by this incredible trans woman called Blake. And if Blake ever hears this, I love you. You're incredible. Um, Shout out to Blake. Shout out to Blake. Um, <laughs> And she just, because she liked climbing and is a trans woman and thought maybe other trans people might enjoy climbing. And so she started a WhatsApp group and every week a lot of us go and climb some rocks. And trans people, as a rule, have a somewhat complicated relationship with sport and moving their bodies and displaying their bodies and using their bodies yeah. to achieve things and compete. It's so often framed as biological advantage and altered by hormones and that our our bodies are weird and freakish and abnormal and should be hidden away and modified to be as disconforming as possible. And if that's what a trans person wants for their body, that is absolutely their prerogative. As as you know, that's what hormones do, that's what surgery does. But um in this group that meets every every week, there are trans masculine people, there are trans feminine people all doing the same stuff. We're all working to get better. There's various different abilities. I'm not very good. I have no upper body strength and there's quite a lot of me. So I frequently embarrass myself and it's fine because everyone is so supportive and we all have a laugh and we all improve and help each other and move our bodies, which is something that's so closed off and taken away from trans people so often. Yeah. And it's truly, truly wonderful. And then after that, after we've all exhausted ourselves and fallen off boulders and calloused our hands raw, we go and we get chicken, or in my case, because I'm vegan, a falafel wrap from the nearby shops, and we go back to someone's house and we just chill out. And we all just um, relax and enjoy each other's company and talk about whatever because it's nice to spend time around trans people in a way that isn't politically charged. And we just talk about what's going on in our lives and joke and have a good time. And what's happened recently is a lot of us have started doing our hormones on the same day. A lot of us bring our hormones to this, this post event. We call it posties. And, um, we do our hormones together. I did this for the first time accidentally because I showed up climbing and I came to this. And I just happened to have my vial of estrogen on me because I'd, I'd intended to do it the previous morning and I'd forgotten, as I so often do. And a lot of people were like, oh, yeah, a lot of us are doing our shots. Do you have your stuff? I was like, oh, yeah, I do. And so I just got to do my HRT, which has already meant so much to me, surrounded by my trans siblings and comrades. And it was the most wonderful thing you could imagine to share in this moment of like, forming my body to be what it um what I wanted to be with a lot of other people doing the same 
in this community-led group full of my friends. And it's wonderful. I'm so grateful for it. And there are countless examples of things like this across the world of trans people coming together and doing things that make them feel joyous and keeping each other sane and alive and healthy and happy. It's wonderful. And it, it's, it's what will keep us going and it's what will keep us persisting through all of the inevitable hardships that we will go through is things like this. That's trans joy for me. If that's not trans joy, I don't know what is. That was perfect. Thank you so much, Morwenna. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I've learned so much. It's absolutely my pleasure. It's been a joy. And yeah, I hope we get to do something similar again soon. I would love that very much. Thank you so much. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you again so much, Morwenna, for taking part in my podcast. And indeed, thank you to all of my guests this month on Trans Talks. I've learned so much and gone on my own little identity adventure, um, as I'm sure many of you listening have too. If you'd like to help the trans cause, by all means, share this podcast. I think getting real trans voices out there in the world is one of our best forms of activism. And if you'd like to explore more about trans experiences, um, there are loads of great podcasts out there. I could personally recommend Jamila Jamil's I Weigh podcast, where she interviews people from all different backgrounds, not just gender non-conforming people. But she's done some really groundbreaking interviews with Alok and Laverne Cox and Travis Alabanza. Natalie Wynn, Sean Fay, and many more. Definitely worth checking her podcast out. I really hope you've enjoyed listening to Trans Talks. I've really enjoyed your feedback on my socials. Keep it coming, keep the conversation moving, and maybe, just maybe, I'll be back for more in the future. Until then, bye for now from me, Branwyn Mum. Bye.